This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, look, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted! Intercepted! And it's in the ball! Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, the game. It feels like we jumped forward in time. It's not 2021. It feels like 2051. Because college football feels like a completely different sport. Just a few days removed from that rivalry game formerly known as the Civil War. We'll talk about all the zaniness and wonkiness and craziness of the coaching carousel in 2051 college football. And... We'll talk about a whole lot more as well. Pac-12 title game, lots of recruiting to get to. You're going to really enjoy this. Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi, Matt Bagley, joined alongside Justin Hopkins via the magic that is the interwebs. Uh, Let's start with the rivalry game, my friend. Did the Oregon win? And I I thought it was a fairly competent win, right? Have the lead throughout, defense made some plays, passing game got going a little bit. Did that game change your mind at all about this team's future chances of winning the Pac-12 and winning a Rose Bowl? Um You know, I don't know. It's it's fun. Okay, so here's what here's what makes that that's a great question. So, and here's what makes it a great question. It makes me think about some Okay, so heading into the game, okay, you're, you're coming off a really bad Utah loss. It was bad, really bad. Uh, you know, we all had a bunch of questions about, you know, the focus of this team and, and the energy and, and, and just some of those things related to it. And so we head into the game with Oregon State. It's like, man, all of a sudden, this is a really big game for Mario Cristobal. This is, you know, you're coming off a terrible loss to Utah. You know, is this team about to fall flat on its face? Should we be concerned about that? And, you know, to answer your question and some of those questions, they went out and delivered. You know, they they started the game hot. The offense got going. Uh, Anthony Brown looked, uh, by Anthony Brown metrics, Anthony Brown looked pretty good, you know, really good. He, he managed a very solid game. I think they game planned very well for him. Um, and, you know, one of the things I know we talked about on the podcast is, you know, we knew that Oregon State would come out and Oregon State was going to copy the Utah blueprint, which they did copy quite a bit of it, not to the exact T, but they copied quite a bit of it, as I would expect them to. You know, so the game within the game would be that chess match. Would, you know, Oregon, you know, kind of count on them doing that and be one step ahead? And it feels like they were. Uh, you know, it feels like, you know, that's a game plan thing. And I, and I know that, um, you know, in, in-game decisions is something that, uh, Oregon fans love to continue to criticize Mario Cristobal about, but I felt like Oregon did well there. They played a good game. And like you said, I know the score didn't reflect it. You know, Oregon state did, you know, kind of claw its way back into it in the second half a little bit, uh, and make the game. I don't want to call it interesting, but they made it closer than I think the score dictated, you know, Oregon won. I think, uh, I think the ducks to answer your question remain right where we expected them to be. Uh, you know, this is a team that should win the Pac-12 Conference Championship. I'm not saying they will, but they should. Uh, and, you know, compete for a, a New York Six-level bowl game uh, in a few weeks. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think this really changed my mind at all. There was some good. There was some bad. And 
Now you just got to hope they catch some good luck on Friday. Um, when you think about that Pac-12 title game, Friday night on ABC against Utah, what are you most confident in? I am most confident in the fact that or the same Oregon team will not show up against that Utah team twice. Yeah, you will not you will not see a repeat uh, of what happened just a couple weeks ago. Now, now that said, you know, I believe that Kyle Whittingham and Utah, I think they're kind of feeling themselves a little bit. Uh, you know, they know that Oregon's probably going to come a little more jazzed up than they caught them last time. Uh, so I expect a really good game, but I I feel most confident in saying that we will not see a repeat of a couple of weeks ago. I'm not saying that the outcome won't be different. I'm just saying it won't be an absolute bloodbath uh, this week. Yeah, yeah, I, I feel pretty confident about that as well. I, I, I have to assume motivation's pretty easy this week, right? Like team meeting Monday morning. I would be willing to bet they just said, "Hey, thirty-eight to seven, thirty-eight to seven. That that seems pretty straightforward." Yeah, no, I mean that that does seem straightforward, but yeah, I I uh, you know I'm really starting. You start to kind of think about a guy like Kevon Thibodeau and some of these other guys that you know are going to be playing their last game. It's it's obviously clear that you know Tibbs is already right. Uh, you know, announced he's going to the NFL without announcing it officially. So you know, I, some of those guys are going to come out there and 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 you know pour their hearts in this game and and. Uh, you know, it, it's going to be difficult because Mario Cristobal is clearly dealing, uh, you know, with his mother and, and her illness and, and things there. And that can definitely weigh heavily on you. Uh, you've got you're basically and what I hate, what I absolutely hate about this is that Utah and Oregon are penalized uh, in the recruiting arena because instead of going out on the road this week, like Lincoln Riley's doing, like some of the others are doing, uh, you know, Kaylin DeBoer will be allowed to do for you to you know, they're game planning for, you know, to win a Pac-12 championship, which right. is a great thing, but that costs you a week of, of going out on the road, uh, you know, that your competitors are able to do that. So um, I think that's something that the Pac-12 needs to fix moving forward because, once again, you're penalizing uh, your two best teams uh, by way of recruiting, which is how they get to this point. Right, and, and you're talking about the fact, for those that don't know, it's not that the Pac-12 has a rule or that the schools have a rule, hey, you can't go out recruiting this week. It's the fact that they play on a Friday. Like, if this was a Saturday game, you could ha have some semblance of, of a normal week where you're allotting some time out on the road to go meet with families and meet with recruits. Because they play on a Friday, they can't do that. And and I'm fascinated by that. Yeah, you know, the Friday game, I will say this, the only good part is that you play on Friday. So, you know, you can get back, you know, you can get back from Vegas to Eugene Friday night. And if you want to host recruits on Saturday and Sunday, you're able to do that. Not ideal, not, you know, because there's official visit week, uh, weekend this weekend. Uh, not ideal, not what you want to do, but that's the only silver lining to the fact of this of this game being a week a week later uh, than you'd like for it to be. Uh, and you know, again, I, I will say give the Pac-12 a little bit of credit because by playing it on a Friday, you can still do uh, you know you could still do some official visits on the weekend if you want on Saturday and Sunday. You're gonna be tired as hell, but you can still do it. Yeah, yeah, and, and I wonder, like, from a Pac-12 perspective, whenever we get into the TV side, you know, I always geek out over that. 
I wonder if that's something George Klyevkov will change. Like, on, on your side, I'm sure the ADs and the coaches will be in his ear going, hey, we'd love to go out recruiting on Friday night. We'd love to use this Pac-12 title game to, to you know, help build our brands as universities. And on the other hand, Commissioner Klyevkov is probably thinking, yeah, we could move it to Saturday. That'd be easier for recruiting. But is the Pac-12 going to get the best TV deal by doing that, right? Like, this is clearly the best move for TV. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 100%, um, you know, the best move for TV. Um, I, I don't fault the Pac-12 for having the game on a Friday night like they are because really, you know, going in and, you know, competing with the Big Ten championship, competing with the SEC championship, you know, you're going to lose a lot of viewers uh, to those other games, and they're good games. So of course, you know, they're, they're those – those folks are going to view that, but you know, by going on Friday and you're either the only one or one of the only ones on, you're not competing with those guys. You're, you're basically, you're basically the best show on TV that night. So, you know, I do like the Friday in that regard. Um, I, you know, I'm sure that uh, with Lincoln Riley at USC now, he's a very recruited recruiting minded fellow as well. You know, now maybe Mario Cristobal has a little bit of an ally in his corner in the regard that, when they're talking to Commissioner Klievkov, they'll actually have kind of recruiting in mind with some of the ideas that they might have now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we'll get into Lincoln going to USC. Obviously, that's a humongous headline. We'll, we'll dive quite a bit into that a little bit later. Uh, one more thing on this Pac-12 title game, my friend. We, we talked about what you're most confident in. Now let's flip it around. What are you most concerned about? Well, I mean, it's, you know, it's uh, it's a good Utah team. Um, there's no doubt that they're going to be tough. It's no doubt that, you know, you're going to come in with a little bit of confidence and a little bit of swagger, uh, knowing you were able to push the Ducks around uh, quite a bit. Uh, they typically, at least this, as the season goes, have not played quite as well on the road as they have at home. Um, you know, so... You know, again, they they, they were very uh, dominant and physical uh, on the line of scrimmage, uh, pushed Oregon around. Um, you know, that has me concerned probably more than anything at the moment. But once again, I'm also confident that you'll see a completely different Oregon team this time around. Yeah. Yeah. I, I My issue for Oregon is, and I give a lot of credit to Hithliday, you know, addicted to quack. And obviously he posts on your board every week. The film breakdowns he does are redonkulous. Uh, the, the, the one he did on this past game where he looked at all of the passing plays that Oregon ran well and all the rushing plays that Oregon ran well and those that didn't run so well, I, I think you get a sense of where this team's limitations are in that Anthony Brown is not a traditional drop-back passer. And I don't think I'm blowing anybody's mind by saying that. Like, he's effective with, with his legs. They run a lot of quarterback power, a lot of RPOs. Uh, there's a bunch of pre-snap motion and, and little window dressing to try to trick the defense. And I, I just wonder if the passing game backs up like it did two weeks ago where you get some early drops and and the throws are kind of mistimed or the throws are just kind of off the mark a little bit and you're down 14 to nothing and you don't get in that rhythm 
on the easy stuff Oregon wants to do, I fear they're never going to get going. Well, yeah, that's 100% the case for Oregon. This is, you know, surprisingly, this is not a team built to come from behind, okay? I mean, they can... They can catch up a you know a fourteen point deficit. They can even catch up a twenty one point deficit with time. But yeah, when you put yourself into that early hole and, and really that 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 punt uh, to end the first half was the absolute backbreaker. You go into the half down twenty eight points, uh, you know, and then for me, I thought okay, and and it's hype, it's it's hyperbole, but I thought okay, if Oregon if Oregon's going to receive the second half kickoff, which they did against Utah. You know, come out, get it to 28-7, you know, maybe work your way back, kind of back into this game. As soon as Oregon came out for that first drive, and I don't remember if they went three and out or whatever the case would be, they didn't, they didn't score any points. You know, I kind of felt like, yeah, this thing, this thing's in trouble here. This, this thing's not going to come back around. Uh, and, it, and it seemingly only got worse. So, yeah, I, I think your, your, you know, your magic formula if you're Mario Cristobal, at least this time around, is just don't allow your team to, to dig this you know, huge early hole, you know, even if it's, even if you're down 10-0 or something like that at half, you're able to get back into this game because we do know, and as you pointed out, Anthony Brown can hit some deep balls. He, you know, he hits them on occasion, Right. you know, he can make some intermediate passes, but if you're reliant on that to be your offense, you're probably in trouble. Right. Like, like he's, he's at his most effective play action, pulls the linebackers in, and and motion can reveal, or or not so much reveal, but help reveal whether a play is going to be man or zone, and then that frees up some of the thinking you have to do at quarterback. I think he's most effective when Oregon's able to play that way. But if Oregon's down, like you're saying, 10, 14 points, they won't be able to play that way, right? The defense won't have to take them as honestly on that stuff. And and Utah absolutely dared. Oregon throw the ball. I mean, they 100% said, hey, we're going to line up. There's 10 guys within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage, uh, sometimes 11, sometimes all 11, within 10 yards of line of scrimmage, and said, hey, you know, Anthony Brown, beat us with your arm. And he couldn't, and he didn't. And, you know, uh, I suppose if I'm Utah, you're probably going to expect Oregon to make some adjustments. But by and large, of course, you'll have tweaks and all these other things that go into game planning. But by and large, from a, a, a massive philosophical standpoint, I expect Utah to do damn near the exact same thing defensively. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to be up to Oregon to figure out a way to generate uh, effective passing plays, uh, to be able to move the ball through the air, even if it's a five, six, seven yard pass, you know, something to kind of set yourself up for a shorter second and third down. Uh, you know, those are going to be the keys to the game for me, for Oregon. Uh, just being able to effectively do that. And, you know, again, like you said, Anthony Brown was throwing the ball in the dirt, throwing the ball behind guys. He was way off. He's just yeah. he's going to at least need to be steady Eddie in this one uh, and and be relatively consistent for that to happen. No doubt. Ducks need a different mindset. I'm with you. I'm hoping they have it Friday night. Try to avenge a 38-7 whoop two weeks ago and seize a third straight Pac-12 title. Uh, big picture. If they get that third straight title, what does it mean for Mario Cristobal's Ducks? Um, you know, I don't. I guess it's that you know, 
it's simply that what he's preaching is 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 coming to fruition. You know, this is a guy that said, "Hey, this is the style. You know, the brand of football we're going to play," uh, and they play it. And I know some fans don't love it, but uh, it's effective. And you know, he said, "We want we want to own the conference. We want to continue to win the conference." Uh, and that's step one. You know, I know, I know the, the 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 pie in the sky is winning championships and being in the playoff every year. But uh, you know, again, I I I think folks easily easily forget just how difficult that next step is it's hard enough to get to eight wins and then it's incredibly difficult to get that ninth win and then once again harder to get that because that tenth win because statistically it just keeps going the wrong direction against you and you know at some point you get down to a margin of error that you know is you know let's face it you don't have a quarterback in Anthony Brown that can overcome a lot of mistakes, right? I mean, you just don't have that guy this year. He can manage a game if your defense plays well and if your offense is 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 running the ball relatively effectively. He's not going to ultimately cost you the game. But if some something's off in any of those other areas, he's not going to do enough to make up for it. And that's where Oregon's at. And I think uh, you know, I think we see that Mario Cristobal keeps trending the right direction, you know, establishing a winning culture, getting eight wins, nine wins, winning the Pac-12 consistently. Um, he's proving that. But yeah, unfortunately, that the that becoming kind of the benchmark, you know, now you move it up a notch. Now the next benchmark is, you know, getting into a playoff spot or competing for uh, a playoff spot or whatever the case might be, and then ultimately winning a national championship. But again, that it's one simple step, right? But that one simple step is so incredibly hard that I think uh, I think fans are are somewhat taking that for granted a little bit. Yeah, and and I could segue to the coaching carousel at that point because that that one simple step, fancy, is so much more complicated in the minds of coaches. I think that's a massive motivator for some of the moves that we're going to talk about today: Lincoln Riley, Brian Kelly, etc. Um, but there's an Oregon point I want to brush on real quick. Chip Kelly won three straight Pac-12 titles, 2010, 2011. Mario Cristobal is on the verge of that. If he gets title number three Friday night, does he go down as the greatest Oregon coach ever? Does Mario Cristobal yeah. go down? Yeah. Um. You know, probably not. Uh, it's uh, probably not. I mean, you had Chip, you know, in a in a playoff game and won it, competed for a national championship. Uh, you know, I, I still he's taken that next step above Mario Cristobal. Now, granted, Chip Kelly walked into a much better situation in terms of the roster. You know, he had some pieces there on offense. Uh, he caught college football at a time where people, quite frankly, didn't have an answer for his offense. Um, very few people have had the kind of impact on college football that Chip Kelly had, and that can't be understated. I will always credit Chip Kelly for that part of his career. I know he's, he hasn't fared well. Uh, he hasn't fared all that well at UCLA, hasn't fared all that well uh, in the NFL. But at the time he came in, he transformed college football. He really did, from an offensive standpoint. Um you know, I'll never take that away from him. And he, at the moment, has had more success than Mario Cristobal. Now, I will say 
he took advantage of a less talented Pac-12, not that it's supremely talented now. Um, I still think it's a little farther ahead than it was at that point when he was there. Uh, and, and he did walk into a better roster than I believe Mario Cristobal. Now, Mario Cristobal has made a better roster, you know, today. But, um, you know, that took some time. So, yeah, I, he, you know, but... In terms of where he, of where Mario Cristobal stands, I mean, I think, I think you're, I think you're talking top two, and if you're even being pessimistic about Mario Cristobal, you're saying he's a top three coach in in, in Oregon football history ever. Yeah. At this point. Yeah, yeah, I, I I agree with you. I think he's on the Mount Rushmore right now. I hate that cliche, but you know, if there were a Mount Rushmore, he's on it. And the question now is just you know, where does he go on it, right? Like, where does he get and and how does he get higher up on that? It's got to be a championship. Um, you want to talk coaching carousel for a few? Yeah, uh, yeah, let's jump. Let's jump there. And, uh, you know, I'm excited because the next couple of weeks we can kind of recap on, on what's been uh, a really good Oregon football season, but there's yeah. plenty of time for that. Uh, but yeah, this coaching carousel thing is absolutely freaking bonkers. I'm excited to talk about it. Right, right. Like we're an Oregon football podcast. We talk about the Ducks. We focus on the Ducks. I have completely lost focus on the Ducks because there's just so much bigger stuff going on. Like Lincoln Riley, uh, you wrote the piece this morning, your, your grades on some of these moves. You gave him a B plus going to USC. I did. Yep. Yeah. Um, how, how surprising was that move for you? Uh, very, uh, uh, no lie. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go back and, and think back to, um, you know, go back and think to the time of, of, of Sunday, you know, basically when it's like everybody's starting to say, Hey, this Lincoln Riley to us think USC things going down. And it's like, no way, no way. There's no way this is real. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I think the key there is, I, I believe that, that uh, you know, Mike Bone and USC and the major boosters, the major influencers knew they needed a splash, right? They needed, they needed something. And it was pretty, it's pretty, well, it's definitely clear now, but it's, it was pretty clear then that, you know, they were ready to throw a lot of money at a big name. And whether, you know, that was, you know, the, the attainable guys were, you know, maybe a Brian Kelly or a Luke Fickle or obviously what amounted to a Lincoln Riley. Um, you know, it's probably one of the, you know, I, I probably believe that there's some truth. I don't, I, I don't believe Lincoln Riley when he says that this thing came together Sunday morning and happened within a couple hours. But I do get the sense at least that this was pretty much like, a, hey, let's just, you know, let's just shoot our shot and, and throw something at him. And, you know, USC was probably surprised when they got Lincoln Riley's attention, uh, or at least more than that. So, again, I, I think uh, I wrote about this. Uh, they wanted the sexy splash hire. I think they got it. I think they really turned college football on its head. Um, you know, I think the Mel Tucker money at Michigan State, you know, probably prompted some of these uh, contracts we're seeing. You know, the, the reports on what Lincoln Riley got are absolutely staggering I mean, uh, <laughs> he probably just wrote some stuff down on a napkin and said, well, if I'm coming, this is what I want. Yeah. And USC obviously just said, sure, okay. And <laughs> it was, I, I don't know, it, it's mind-boggling. But they, they, got a, you know, they got a really young, energetic recruiter. Uh, and I'll say this, you know, my thoughts on the hire, I, you know, they're going to win 
eight, nine, ten games under Riley. I don't doubt that. The the Pac-12 South isn't all that good. Uh, you know, they're not going to play a lick of defense. They're going to win 47 to, to 35 in a lot of their games, but they'll win. You know, he'll get eight or nine, ten wins. Uh, they'll, you know, they'll be back in that column. They'll be back competing for a Pac-12 championship, which I know those are all the goals. He's got a pretty, let's, let's be real. He's got a damn easy path to get to that point. I believe he'll use that success within the next two to three years, you know, to parlay himself in the NFL. I think this is a rental. I think, uh, you know, I think if you're a USC fan and you think Lincoln Riley's at USC for the long haul, I, I think you're being pretty naive about this. But I think this move for Lincoln Riley, if your eye is on the NFL, I think it makes a ton of sense. And I think that's why this move ultimately got made. Man, if this is a rental, if he leaves USC in the dark after a couple of years, they are going to be ticked. I'm reading the contract details right now. Now, it's not confirmed because USC is a private university. They don't have to disclose that information like the public schools do, but you can assume somebody's agent got into somebody's ear, and the deets on Twitter, over 100 mil, so, like you said, that's in line with the Mel Tucker money Michigan State tossed out a week ago. But USC is also going to buy both of Lincoln's homes in Norman, so he doesn't have to sell them. The Trojans are just going to buy his homes for him. That's extra money. And then they're going to buy him a home in L.A., and they're giving him unlimited use of a private jet 24-7. Would Mario Cristobal ever get a deal like that? Uh, uh, well, he's got, he's got a house in Eugene, so some of those things right. he wouldn't need. They would, and, they would and he need used, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Here's the, here, I guess to answer your question in a fair context, you know, let's just say that, and I know that there's all sorts of escalators and all these incentives and all these different things that we almost never get to see all of, but for the most part, James Franklin, Mel Tucker, Brian Kelly, uh, Lincoln Riley, all these guys are in the, we're just going to say 10 to $15 million per year range in terms of what their contracts look like, which is absolutely bonkers. It's stupid bonkers. Um, and I wrote about this earlier. Here's, here's uh, the money itself is, is insane, but here's why the money is what it is. There continues to be this trend in college football of good coaches wanting to go to the NFL and they're trying to get to the NFL, not simply because it's the NFL, but because their workload is about a fraction of what it is in college. Those guys get paid at worst, the same, if not more in the NFL and seemingly almost have less pressure to win and have a much easier job. You're not out recruiting worrying about, oh, yeah. you know, kids, kids partying on a Saturday night, any of this or that. They pretty much just show up and coach their room and, and call it a day. Um, and so the very easiest way for people to understand this is it's just like the real estate market, right? When there's a ton of houses on the market, you know, the values go down, right? There's, you know, you don't have these crazy bidding wars. You don't have these stupid, you know, you don't have $100,000 over ask offers on houses. You don't have that when there's a ton of houses on the market, okay? But when the market has like, five houses and everybody wants to buy one, guess what? The, you get these stupid contract offers. You get you know way, money way over ask. And that's exactly what's happening here. The, the, the college football head coach market of viable head coaches, guys that have a proven track record or have one at the level and want to stay 
in college football, it's very small. It's a very small pool of guys. And, and to back my point there, I think Washington, whom I know we'll talk about, went kind of the smart, safe route. I don't think they didn't have the 10 to $15 million to pay for one of these guys. So instead, they opted for a Kalen DeBoer. Now, you're taking a little bit of a risk because he's somewhat unproven at this level. But you're also maybe taking a chance on a guy that could very well establish himself like Mario Cristobal. Could get up there. He's a proven game winner. You know, you're going to get some good things out of him. But he's kind of like the, you know, <laughs> I don't know if I'm keeping it real estate based. He's kind of like the safe fixer upper. All right. You're going to you're going to buy it for a value. Uh, you're going to put a little bit of money into it. And next thing you know, you're going to, you know, get a good return on it. And I, I think that's what Washington got in terms of, of you know, of in terms of some of these others like USC, you know, you <laughs> you overpaid for your house and uh, <laughs> you're, you're hoping a hurricane doesn't blow down within a couple of years. <laughs> right. And, and I think you raise a, a great point about the NFL being an attractive destination. Um, you know, say 20 years ago, 30 years ago, coaches wanted to go to that level because it was the best level. Right. You want to win a Lombardi. And, and now it's a lot more practical. It's not so much that pie-in-the-sky aspiration of I'm going to be the greatest coach of all time and win championships. It's the reality of you don't have to go recruiting on Friday night because, let's face it, not everybody loves it. Not everybody's Mario Cristobal. Um, and and I, you mentioned the expectations. You, you can lay that out in terms of record, right? If you are at say the Giants or you're at the Lions or the Bengals or, or any NFL team and you win two-thirds of your games you're a playoff team and you're a successful coach and you're always going to have a job if you win two-thirds of your games in college football at Notre Dame or LSU or Alabama right one of the blue chips of college football or you win two-thirds of your games even at Oregon you're going to lose your job because the expectations are higher. Yeah, I mean, let's let's be real. If Lincoln Lincoln Riley at USC, you know, two thirds of his games, if he wins eight games every year, uh, you know, is, are people going to be happy? No. Like, is that no? Yeah, you're right. They're not. So, um, you know, you you got to pay for those guys to keep them there. And again, I, I think for me, I think if you look at Lincoln Riley and the offensive success that he's had. Uh, I think he probably very much sees himself as a Cliff Kingsbury, Sean McVay, you know, type of guy. Hey, look at these guys. They're younger and they're having, you know, success in the NFL. That could be me, you know, and I, and I think he very much envisions himself doing that. Now, the other part about that move to L.A. is, is now you've put yourself smack dab in a in right right in the middle of a bunch of football NFL teams, NFL football teams that are going to come to your stadium because they can get there in an hour. You know, you can get over there from Arizona uh, easily. You can get down from San Francisco easily. Shoot, you can even get down from Seattle easily. You know, you're, you've put yourself in a spot there. And, I, you know, I'm not even mentioning the, the Raiders or the Chargers who are right there, of course, but on uh, the Rams. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of teams right there that, you know, I think uh, he'll build relationships. He'll get himself in that NFL circle a little bit faster with GMs and, and, and folks that, you know, VPs and guys that, that are involved in the hiring process, uh, you know, maybe not exactly with those particular franchises, but once you kind of get into that circle, you're in. Uh, that's my feeling with Lincoln Riley. I think it's a good hire. I think it's a splash hire. Uh, I think they paid a lot of money to get him. 
and that's all good and well. I think USC was in somewhat of a position that they had to do that. The, the sort of pressure that USC is under is not the same pressure that Washington's under. Right. USC USC is a huge school. You know that's that's a that's a massive program that hasn't won jack crap in a long time, and they really needed to get back to winning and recruiting uh, and being an elite program like they had been. You know they had to do this. Washington, meanwhile, I think people tend to overvalue Washington. I think it's a good school. Uh, it's a fine school. I, they're one of the better schools in the Pac-12. Uh, but you're kidding yourselves if you think that they're on the level of USC or Texas. Uh, or Oregon, or, you know, some of these other schools that are playing with these big hitters, you know, they're not at that level. Um, they made the sensible hire. They made probably the best hire I feel they could make. Um, but again, they're, they're two totally different realms. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think for Washington, it, it came down. If I had to guess, you call Kalani Sataki's agent and ask, is he willing to leave BYU? Um, you, you maybe put a call in to a Chris Peterson or a Jeff Tedford and you ask, hey, are you guys thinking about coming back to college football? And if they say no, I think Kalen DeBoer is your next best bet. Like like you laid it out, uh, there's a lot of Mario Cristobal in him. Small school guy, worked his way up through the ranks. Uh, for him, it was NAIA ball and then working as an assistant in uh, Fresno State and Indiana. And then he gets the Fresno State job, and that's a pretty good indicator of Pac-12 recruiting, I think. Like, if you can win at Fresno, I think you can win at Washington. Well, it very much, uh, it's not exactly the same, but it's a very similar pattern to the Chris Peterson model. You know, went down there, uh, brought in some guys, played, played a good, hard-nosed, tough football, disciplined football you know, won some good games, uh, beat UCLA, looked competitive against Oregon. You know, you're looking at this guy thinking, man, this guy's just a ball coach, right? You know, he's, he's, and that's what I think. I think Washington said, hey, look, you know, this guy is a lot, lot more like Chris Peterson, I think, is probably how they felt about it. Whereas, you know, to me, if we're thinking back, Jimmy Lake was kind of their Lincoln Riley hire. You know, this is the flashy young guy. This is the splash. This is all we got. You know, NFL teams are coming after him, but we kept him. And, you know, that was kind of that hire uh, really didn't work out well for them. So I think they kind of went back to the roots of, hey, you know, the blueprint that kind of got us here was getting the dependable, smart, savvy coach. Uh, you know, I think Kalen DeBoer is going to need to recognize that he'll have to hire some strong recruiters on his staff. You know, he'll need a couple guys. Um, you know, they don't I, I don't believe that we'll see a lot of Oregon in Washington head-to-head battles with DeBoer up there, and that's okay. I think he's going to, you know, lean heavily on his evaluations. You know, I think he's going to go ahead and get those guys that, you know, cater to what they do offensive and de- offensively and defensively, uh, you know, and really try and develop some of those guys. And, you know, they'll, they'll just, like I said in my article, they'll punch above their weight class. You know, they'll be that team, quite frankly, that you don't want to play. Uh, and, and simply because they're going to play a sound football, they're going to be disciplined. They're going to, you know, more than likely throw some looks at you that you're not ready for. Um, you know, they're going to do a lot of those little things really well that make them tough to beat. And, uh, you know, again, I don't, I don't know that they'll go lighted up on the recruiting trail. I think they'll do enough, you know, to get, you know, they'll do enough to get enough guys there to win with, um, 
And again, I, I, I love the hire. I think it's it was the guy that I said first and foremost when they said they were moving on from Jimmy Lake. I said, go get Kalen DeBoer. Mm-hmm. That's who you need. So I'm obviously behind the hire. I guess we'll see if if I was right or Jen Cohen was right or not. But I do feel pretty strongly that um, you know that, that it's going to be a really good hire for Washington. Yeah, I'm with you. And I, I think for Oregon fans who enjoy that husky schadenfreude, the, the scariest line you just said was, Washington's going to be that team you don't want to play, right? Oregon's been that team for years. I think Utah's been that team for years. Now the Huskies are going to go from that team you want to play to that team you don't want to play. Yeah, no, and I think, you know, that that was some of the attraction, you know, when Chris Peterson got it going at Washington was, you know, they did, for instance, and, and give, in, and I know nobody wants to hear this, but give Jimmy Lake credit too, you know, they did really well at bringing in defensive backs and developing them and sending them to the league. And after a couple of years of doing that, they were v- very successful recruiting the defensive back posi- position, even more successful than Oregon. Uh, you know, now the tables have turned a little bit. You know, that's not the case now. But I think Kalen DeBoer can do that. You know, if you can go up there and 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 put together a strong offense, you know, there's plenty of quarterbacks out west. You're going to pick up a guy or heck, even through the transfer portal that'll come and play for you and help you win some ball games. And, you know, if you're running the ball effectively, there's enough running backs out there. You'll you'll go out and sure, maybe you won't get the five star number one, you know, future NFL guy. But you go ahead and get yourself a guy that has himself a really strong college career uh, and helps you win a bunch of games by, you know, running for a thousand yards. It can be done. Uh, and, and I think Kalen DeBoer will do that. I think Chris Peterson did that in some areas. You know, the success he had at quarterback as a coach, you know, he was able to bring in some really good quarterbacks in his time at Washington. So, um, you know, it, it can be done. I think there's a blueprint there. I think, uh, I think that's a coach that probably knows his limitations. That's not going to say, hey, look, I'm going to go, you know, toe to toe with Lincoln Riley and, and Mario Cristobal for some of these elite dudes. Probably not going to benefit him all that often, maybe on occasion, but not all that often. So, um, you know, like I said, as long as he sticks within his, you know, kind of in his range, I think I think he'll be successful. And I think, you know, like we both said now, that's going to be the team that that every week everybody says, "Oh crap, we got to play Washington," you know. And I I think they'll be that team. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you just nailed it. You know, maybe doesn't go toe to toe with Mario and Lincoln, but it, it works for him. I mean, heck, he was within a quarter of beating the Ducks this year. It works for him. Yeah, yeah. It it totally uh, totally works for him. I'm excited about that hire. Uh, I think Washington nailed it. Uh, I'm not, I've never been a huge Brian Kelly fan. I, I, I actually, I will say that I'm not a huge Brian Kelly fan. I don't like him as a person. I think he's full of crap. Right. Uh, obviously Lincoln Riley's showing that he's a little bit full of crap. Um, but that said, I, I think, you know, I think, I, I think the Brian Kelly hire by LSU is probably the smarter hire, uh, than the hire of Riley to USC. Now Whoa. we'll see how that pans pans it. Well, I think I think Kelly will stay there for longer. You know, he can recruit at a high level. He's in a recruiting hotbed, uh, you know, right there in Louisiana. Um, now, don't get me wrong; it's not an easy road. You're you know you're playing a lot of SEC schools, but you're also going to get the benefit of the doubt from that most years. You know, we see the committee continue to favor the SEC uh, and judge those losses fairly lightly. Um, you know, Lincoln Riley will probably have a pretty 
clear path to, you know, Pac-12 conference uh, titles, uh, you know, playing in the championship, if you will, against, you know, Oregon or whomever. But I, I think in terms of taking that next big step, I, I think he's farther away. And again, I think he's a guy that bolts the NFL in, in two or three years. I think Brian Kelly, uh, if he can win, he'll be at LSU for a while. Yeah, I just, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And, and it's not that I don't respect Brian Kelly as a coach. Like, I, I was honestly stunned that he took this LSU job because I felt like he's done a great job at Notre Dame and, and, and kind of, at least from the perspective of Notre Dame fans, I think it kind of earned that job for life. Um, but I, I wonder, like, do you want to give up Notre Dame's schedule, which I think is the easiest path to the playoff out of all the big yeah. programs? You know, you get to play UMass and Army and Navy every year and rack and up I 11 agree. wins. Yeah, no, I agree. That's that's about the easiest job because Notre Dame was, you know, consistently getting the benefit of the doubt from the right. playoff committee. Right. You know, they've always been, you know, what I I feel is kind of like an inflated, uh, you know, ranked team. And, uh, you know, and they get to those playoff games and get their ass handed to them by, by Bama or Georgia or Clemson or whoever, uh, you know. But then again, you know, Oklahoma, man, that was a pretty easy easy path because the big 12 was terrible. Uh, it certainly looks like, you know, potentially Mike Riley or Lincoln Riley, excuse me, was scared to death of, of Oklahoma being in, in the sec because uh, I don't know. I got to think that's a bit of a factor here, but I'm, I'm just kind of guessing from what some people have posted. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I also wonder too, like, I think the difference between those two, because it's it's so similar to me, right? One one coach is presented with a you will coach in the SEC by 2025, and one coach is presented with a you could coach in the SEC if you sign on the dotted line. I, I think the difference is Brian Kelly is in control of the situation, right? He gets to decide, I want to go into the gauntlet that is the SEC West, whereas Lincoln Riley didn't have control. And, and I don't know if he trusted the administration at Oklahoma since they made that move. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that's certainly the case. Um, yeah, and, and then now, here we are, you know, you and I are, are recording this. Florida's obviously filled, LSU's filled, but now you've got an opening at Notre Dame. You've got an opening at Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a potential opening at Miami that looks like it's, 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 it's coming. Uh, and then, you know, here, like we're just talking about those three openings right now. And then you might be hiring someone else's coach. So then there's another opening right. at, you know, who knows, you know, Lane Kiffin takes Miami or, or whatever. Now you talk about an opening at Ole Miss. I mean, uh, this coaching carousel is absolutely nuts. And, and the best part is I know that there's a few Oregon media that were pushing uh, Mario Cristobal to LSU and Mario Cristobal to Florida. And I never I never put any stock in it. I didn't promote it hardly one bit. Right. Uh, I mean, I was it was pretty adamant. I was pretty adamant. Like, yeah, those aren't options for Mario Cristobal. I I believe Miami's going to open up, uh, and I, of course, Mario Cristobal's name is going to instantly be thrown uh, very near the top of the list, if not at the very top. Uh, and I still feel, I feel this way. Okay, I feel this way, and this is all I can say based on today because we don't know. Right. There's so, I mean, right. nobody expected Lincoln Riley to take USC, right? That's just how these things work. But as of today, Miami is not open. If it does open, okay, and they put the right athletic director in there, if they hire Alonzo Highsmith, 
you know, who I know Mario has a relationship with. I, I feel as though there's very little chance that Mario Cristobal takes and, and leaves for the Miami job. And the only way that I envision that it's even remotely a possibility is if they throw that 10 to $15 million a year money at him, because I don't think Oregon will match that. I think they will. I think they can make him a pretty generous offer given the market. And so that's the other thing, you know, we might be talking about this. I don't know, but you know, contract extensions for Mario Cristobal, you know, kind of been mentioned here and there. I, I've, I believe that they've been ongoing for a few weeks now. Uh, and I think kind of the big holding pattern, if you will, I don't think there's been any particular holding pattern. I think the the two sides were just kind of waiting to see, you know, what the market dictated was fair. You know, what what are, what are some of these coaches going to get? You know, how much are these guys going to get paid when this is filled uh, at these schools? And so I, I think Oregon wants to make a, a fair market value offer to Mario Cristobal. I think Mario Cristobal wants that offer and wants to stay at Oregon. I think the two sides are in are in an incredibly good place with one another. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I don't think there's any deceit. I don't think there's any, you know, oh, you guys need to give me a contract or I'm leaving. I think it's, hey, yeah, let's do that. Let's see what, what these other guys get and let's come to terms on something. I, I believe that that's where the two sides are at. It doesn't mean a deal gets done tomorrow. It doesn't mean a deal gets done on Sunday. It might not be for three more weeks. We don't really know, but I think you know, in terms of where Mario Cristobal is at with Oregon, it's very strong. I think the two sides have a great relationship. And again, the only way I, I think Miami becomes a player is if they do something like USC and basically say, give us your number and here you go. That's the only way I think. And, and if you're Oregon, I don't think there's anything you can do about that. I know you've got Phil Knight. I know you've got, you know, Pat Kilkenny. I know you've got some money. But Oregon is not the type of school to make that kind of a contract offer. And if that becomes the case, you will more than likely have to let Mario Cristobal walk. And that's the only way. But again, that's the only way is if you see some ridiculous contract offer from Miami. Yeah, yeah. I I, um, I read your piece last night. You, you shot down the Miami talk. Um I, I think last year, around this same time of the year, we had to have the Miami talk on the pod and on your site. You shot it down. Same for the year before and the year before that. Like it's it's an annual tradition now of the Will Mario Cristobal go to Miami game that some people want to play, but Mario Cristobal hasn't played that game. Like I, I'm left. You you talked about how much his wife loves Eugene, and I think that's a, a really good point. Uh, you you wrote about that in your piece. Um, I think it's a really good point because we, we often think about money and how big of a deal money is, right? And in reality, there's so many other factors that go into the decision, right? Lincoln Riley's getting a boatload of money from USC, but he's also, like you mentioned, in the backyard of two NFL teams, three if you count Vegas being an hour away, four if you count the Niners being a one-hour flight away, and... And and now he gets to uh, get out of the SEC footprint and compete for national championships. Um, and and with Mario Cristobal, I, I think about how much his family likes it here. Like that video, I don't know if you saw this, the video of him playing catch with his sons, Rocco and Mateo, after the, uh, the, the Beaver game on Saturday. Did you see that? 
Oh yeah. Yeah. No, he, yeah. He loves playing catch with the boys and, and they'll, uh, you know, when he, when he has time, which I know is rare, he'll play Madden with them at home. And, uh, you know, some of that, some of that fun football stuff. They're, they're definitely a football family, no doubt. Right. And I mean, the, the, the boys are decked out, like dressed to the nines in duck gear. I think I spotted a Justin Herbert Jersey and, uh, playing catch at Autzen, having a great time. Like, I, I say this as someone who my in-laws are Hispanic and they live pretty far from home. I, I know that the allure of going home in that culture and in any culture really is a strong allure, but I think Mario Cristobal and his family have made the best in Eugene. I, I think they like it here and I think they're going to stay there. Yeah. I, I, you know, I've written it a few times, uh, and some people always like to. Well, I, I, I heard Jessica Grisball doesn't like Oregon or Eugene, and I always say I, I hear quite the opposite, right. and I'm pretty confident that she wants to stay in Eugene. She wants to raise those boys in Eugene. Uh, it's safe. It's a great family place. Uh, they're treated like royalty. Um, you know what I mean? I, there's, there's so many things that when you're, when you're a parent like I am. You know, you start you start recognizing how much of a value that has. Now, of course, that's not the bottom line. You know, if if right. again, if if Miami offers Mario Cristobal twelve million dollars a year, they're probably gone. And I'm not saying they're going to offer him that. I have no idea, but I'd say it's probably unlikely that they're going to. But if that offer is made for whatever reason, you're you know, as a coach, you got to look at it. Uh, but all things being equal, you know, let's say that that they're they're in the same range should uh, Miami even offer, you know, they're going to stay in Eugene. They, you know, they do like it here. Uh, you know, she likes it here. She likes raising her family here. Um, I think there's a lot to be said about that. And, and, and I think we all know that as, 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 as tough and, and, and hard nosed as Mario Cristobal is uh, that, that nothing is above family for him. You know, he's going to put the, the well being of his family you know, very up, very high up on that list. And, uh, you know, so like you said, I, I think there's a lot to be said for the family wanting to be here. Um, and I think that, I, I, you know, I, I, I think that as a guy that kind of grew up in this area, I think that Mario Cristobal, you know, could very much fantasy kind of see that Oregon could kind of be his Bobby Bowden's FSU, you know, a guy that, you know, coaches there for 20, 25 years, whatever. Right. The, I don't remember how long Bowden was there, but he's there for freaking ever, right? Right, right. Uh, and, and you're and, referring to yourself growing up in this area. Well, no, I just, I feel, no, I'm referring to him growing up in Florida and, and seeing that at FSU because he was very much growing up okay. in a time where Bowden, you know, was at FSU for a long ass time, you know. And, uh, you know, I know he played under some different coaches at Miami. Uh, but I think he kind of fashions himself as, hey, look, I could be at Oregon for the long haul like Bowden was at FSU. And Bowden had a ton of success late in his career, you know, because he was such a seasoned coach and he built such a monster. I, I, I think Oregon, you know, is set up to very much be because I think Oregon will be loyal to Mario Cristobal as well. And they'll give him quite a bit of leash. Uh, I, I think when, you know, for example, when Oregon lost two games this year. Uh, you know, I don't think anybody loves losing games, but I don't 
think anybody internally was like, oh, maybe we got the wrong guy. Like there, like there was absolutely zero of that is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, again, I'm just speaking to the strength of, of these two sides. You've got an administration side, you've got a coaching side, you know, and a lot of times there's a lot of, of bad blood between the two. And I feel that there's virtually zero here. And I, and I, I think the two want to keep it that way for a long, long time. Right. Um, so real quick, you shot down Miami. I, I think you just did a really good job shooting down Mario for Oklahoma and Notre Dame. Um, obviously, there's no LSU or Florida jobs to worry about anymore. I, I think we're going to keep playing that game every year into perpetuity, but we could probably put an end to that game for this year. Uh, one last thing on the coaching carousel. Now that Oklahoma and Notre Dame are open, who do you think takes those jobs? Well, I was just about, I honestly was just about to make a joke saying, I can't wait for the Oregon media for somebody to say, watch out for Notre Dame or Oklahoma to come after Mario Cristobal. Yeah. But, uh, you know, my best guess is Notre Dame, I would say it's one of two. It's, it's Luke Fickle from Cincinnati coming over to take it. I think the rub there is, <laughs> the rub there is, you're talking about two teams that are, are potentially headed for a college football playoff. Notre Dame is potentially headed for a college football playoff and Cincinnati, you know, they could both get in. Mm-hmm. They could neither get in. We don't know yet, but so that makes that, uh, well, we'll just say interesting. It's definitely a wrinkle. So I, I, I think, I think Notre Dame's one of the few jobs that, that, that Luke Fickle was kind of waiting on. And so that'll be interesting now. And Notre Dame has Marcus Freeman as defensive coordinator. I know that, you know, uh, Brian Kelly's already reached out to make him the highest paid defensive coordinator down at LSU. Uh, you know, obviously defensive coordinator money is not the same as head coaching money. Is Marcus Freeman ready, ready for that? Is he ready to be Notre Dame's head coach? Does Notre Dame feel he's ready? Uh, he certainly can recruit. He's young. He's energetic. He does all those things great. Uh, but, you know, can he manage a game? Is he X's and O's? Um, you know, Hopefully they kind of take a look at Washington and say, hey, well, Washington that did this with Jimmy Lake, you know, and it didn't work out. Now, it doesn't mean it's the same for everybody, but there are cases both ways that it right. does and doesn't work out. So those are the two names that I would say immediately are my best bets. It's either Luke Fickle taking it or Marcus Freeman taking it. And I would say my guess is that if Notre Dame can work out bringing Luke Fickle uh, with how it works uh, with the two teams, uh, you know, playing games and playoff games and things of that nature, he's probably the number one choice. Um, I would think that Marcus Freeman's probably up there, maybe the number two choice. Um, you know, that's my best guess there. I don't, I don't think Oklahoma uh, brings Bob Stoops back long term. I think that's a great option for an interim. Um, you know, that's a perfect, perfect fit for them. I would imagine Bob Stoops is heavily involved in whom they hire. Uh, you know, to replace Lincoln Riley, but I'd be pretty surprised if it's him. Um, I honestly don't know where Oklahoma looks, and I, and I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just, you know, I, I, if, if I was a head coach or considering that job, I'd fear how much of those really good offensive players are about to hit the transfer portal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, your recruiting class is, is, is falling apart at the seams uh, faster than you can blink. Um, you know, so yeah, I think there's some things to be concerned about, but that's still very much a a tremendous job in college football. Um, you know, they'll end up getting a good coach. It's just, uh, you know, that one to me, again, 
here's where I'm going to revert back to something I said a while ago. The market is not very strong if you're in the market for a head coach. So those guys are basically, you know, naming their number right now, which great for them cash in. But if you're one of the, one of the schools that's in the market uh, and you don't have that kind of money to throw around, uh, good luck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, very last thing. And, and I'm yeah. keeping this brief because I know the timeline, right? We're used to this. Uh, last couple of years, every time Oregon's been in this situation, we usually can milk three or four podcasts out of it because it takes a lot of time to hammer down. If Joe Moorhead leaves for Akron, as has been rumored for a couple days, that, that Oregon offensive coordinator Joe Moorhead is the next head coach at Akron, where does Oregon look to replace him? Um, you know, I, the one thing we know about Mario Cristobal is he will do two things. He will evaluate uh, coaches that are already on his roster, on his offensive staff. You know, I think he'll take a look at, you know, is there a situation where you can elevate Jim Mastro and potentially Brian McClendon? Uh, you know, where, you know, one's a run game coordinator, one's pass game coordinator. Could it work? I don't know. I'm just simply spitballing, but that's, you know, very much, I think, uh, the first uh, op option that he'll look at. Uh, we know that he'll probably interview anywhere from 25 to 35 people for the job. Uh, even if he feels like those two guys might be capable or one of those guys is capable, he'll still interview 25 to 35 guys because that's what he does. Um, you know, so... If I if I'm going off some of the names that he interviewed last year, you know Chip Long is a guy that he interviewed that ended up down at uh, Tulane, I believe, and had a hell of a season. Um, you know, so there's a guy, you know, for you to take a quick look at. Um, you're going to probably poke around the league a little bit and see if there's anybody. I know I saw somebody say something about Bill Musgrave at Cal. That's an absolute no. Uh, he'll probably get put on a bunch of lists, but that's not even remotely. Uh, uh, plausible, um, you know, yeah, it's again, the market is not overly strong in terms of, 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 of coordinators either. So, um, but then again, you know, last thing I'll say on this, but then again, when Oregon, uh, started looking for its offensive coordinator last time, Joe Moorhead was still employed as a head coach. So, um, you know, you and I were talking about Oklahoma and Notre Dame, uh, you know, being open moments ago, and there could be other fallout if if, if current coaches take those jobs. So uh, you're you're more than likely going to find some pretty capable guys out there that uh, um, you know Mario Cristobal will have a, a he will have a definite pulse on, and at least have a phone call with a lot of those guys, uh, if not more. Okay, and and for those of you wondering, we've got a lot more we could talk about that subject in future pods. But like I said. I, I kind of have a good feel for Mario Cristobal when when he needs a coordinator, and we don't even know if he needs a coordinator right now. It's not official, but if he needs right. a coordinator, it, he's going to take his time, and so I, I think he will. Um, well, and to your point before we wrap up, that's why I didn't want to you know dive too far into the woods with names and stuff. It's like, well, right. let's make sure he needs one first, and then what he does, let's have another podcast. Right, right. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's talk some basketball real quick. I don't think you'll learn very much from Oregon's win last night, a route over Montana, but I think that you can pick up a couple nuggets, like Nate Biddle, most minutes he's had this year, 
uh, made his biggest impact in my opinion. And I think that performance highlights something we've talked about all season so far, Justin. Oregon's got depth in their front court. This team feels different to me. Well, I'm going to have to back you up a second because, as you recall, you know, Washington fans are convinced that Montana is the Bama of the West, <laughs> as you recall. Oh, wait, that's football. Never mind. Uh, yeah, no, um, you know, I, I'll be honest. I had, I, I took a peek at the game here and there. I didn't watch it all the way through. I know that they started slow. Uh, I know that they eventually got it going. Uh, you know, I probably do tend to keep a little closer tabs uh, on Nate Biddle uh, than probably most common fans, too, being as he's from the area. I've hung out with him and his dad and stuff before. Yeah. Great family, great, great family. people. Hung out with them at the lake and stuff. So uh, I got a lot of respect for my kids have gone to school with him. So, you know, personally, yeah, I'm rooting for Nate Biddle to uh, have a ton of success and 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 be a, a really good part of this Oregon basketball program, uh, hopefully for years. But like you said, big picture, yeah, you're you're seeing that you know there might be a game where uh, Isaac Johnson is the guy that steps up for Oregon and has a big game as a big man. It might be Biddle, you know, that's able to find some space and step up as a big man for Oregon. It might be Kepnang you know, stepping up, having a big game might be in Folly Dante. I mean, they've got so much versatility there that, you know, it's the, it's the best that it's the best that Dana Altman has ever had at Oregon in terms of depth of big men. And I think that that's a great thing. Um, And I'm, I'm glad they were able to get back on the winning side of things and beat Montana. But like you said, uh, you know, we're clearly not going to take too much away from that. And I know that uh, I can't recall the date, but I know that Baylor's coming to town here pretty soon, uh, and they are going to have their work cut out for them. Yeah, yeah. Um, on the other side of things, the Oregon ladies. And I just want to take a moment to, to talk about this. They got UC Davis tomorrow at Matt Knight in Eugene. Big game, fun game, right? Like, I don't think UC Davis is that tough of a foe. But it could be a lot of fun for you if you live in that area. And then they come up to Portland on Saturday night. Oregon at the University of Portland. That's going to be a big game. Like, UP would have been a tournament team if the tournament got played in 2019. They won the tournament for their conference that year. That's going to be really fun. Yeah, no, those are fun. And I think the other thing that we're kind of hearing about a little bit is is the the women are starting to get closer to being – healthier and so you know if you've got a couple uh you know of your better players that have been out uh for you know a few weeks to a month or whatever the time might be it's been a while uh it's nice to be able to have a couple of those games kind of working back in instead of getting you know thrown right back into the fire um so you know we'll see if pow pow is able to play a little bit more uh you know and get some of the other girls back that have been injured um and uh yeah i it 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 certainly seems as though they've got a little bit of work to do as well, but um, you know, it seems as though they're a little bit closer to it than the men are. The men right. are are quite a ways off from where I think we expected them to be. But uh, I mean, I guess that's uh, early season college basketball for you. Yeah, and, and like you said, this is a, a tune-up game. It's an opportunity to improve upon your team, improve upon your form, and and have a little bit of an easier path than the one they took last week with those top 25 games but I, I gotta point out again like I, I love that they're coming up to Portland 
if you're an Oregon grad, you're an Oregon diehard, and you live up here, like I, I, I'm speaking as somebody in Beaverton, I'm, I'm right off of 26, it's pretty easy for me to get to University of Portland, this is a pretty cool game, and I, and I hope people go. Uh, tickets are crazy cheap, 20 bucks max. I, I think you can get, t- get tickets for 10 at PortlandPilots.com. And, I, I, again, Portland, if we'd had a tournament two years ago, and, of course, Duck fans, you guys can say, hey, if we'd had a tournament, we would have won the whole thing. I think you're right. If we'd had a tournament two years ago, University of Portland would have been in it too. So I, I, I think we're going to get a good game. That's uh, Saturday night. Tip at six at University of Portland. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, no, it, like you said, it's it's a it's a great chance for folks, uh, you know, because let's be real that that drive and, and again depending on traffic, but that drive from Portland to Eugene about an hour and a half each direction, right? And depending on traffic, you know, for you to be able to drive 10, 15, 20 minutes, maybe thirty minutes if there's a ton of traffic and see a game, yeah, you know, ha- have a beer or two if they serve them and go home, you know, it's it's. You know that's a great opportunity. That's a that's a that's a fun little night. And uh, you know, if you're someone like me and you have seven people in your family, you can take everybody to the game and not break the bank. So <laughs> all good things. And, and you, when you say have a beer if they serve them, kind of cracks me up, right? Like t- take the train into North Portland, have a beer if they serve them. Screw it, man. Just go to the brewery right down the street. Well, okay, yeah. I mean, go to Ex Novo or do something there. But yeah, you know. Uh, again, it, I just meant if you went to the game and they're serving, you know, at the at the at the actual game. Right. Yeah. You never know. Yeah. I, I and I wouldn't. I wouldn't know. Just uh, every time I've been to Child Center, it's been for for high school events. So they 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 don't obviously serve beer at those. But uh, I'm, why not? I'm, um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, you caught me there. You know, I, I did. You were about to answer it. I yeah. was. I was. Well, you know, I always joke. My my, my family have always made fun of me for this. I, uh, I I have one crippling fatal flaw, and it's uh, or at least among others, um, I cannot read sarcasm to save my life. I'm oh, Mr. Gotcha. Literal for everything all the time. Don't speak of the sarcasm. Right. Well, like, well. like I can read it, and I can I can try to use it. I enjoy it. It's funny. But I miss it nine times out of ten. Oh, well, I can tell you what we uh, in our in our household, Kim and I have well versed our children on how to how to note sarcasm. So <laughs> they, they, I can tell you for sure they don't they at least won't have to worry about that. Right, right. Um, real quick, we got a a bunch of stuff, and it's already a big pod over an hour. Um, can we get into five games real quick? Uh, I did. I don't have. Uh, I tell you what. Why don't you? I don't know that we can do five games because I don't think there's five. Right. But let's just let's just do a couple. Okay. All right. I'm not even going to throw the music in here. Just Baylor, Oklahoma State. It's 9 a.m. Saturday. Um, San Diego State, Utah, 12 o'clock Saturday. I put that down because the winner has some Pac-12 bowling implications, and then. SEC title game, 1 o'clock, CBS. You don't need to know who those teams are. You already know who those teams are. And uh, Michigan, Iowa, Big Ten title, 5 o'clock on Fox. How about Harbaugh? Uh, yeah, I tell you what, I give him, I give him crap every year, and I, I, I kind of still will. I'm still not all the way in on the Harbaugh train. 
but yeah, that was a hell of a win for him. Hell of a win for that program. Um, you know, pretty kind of, it, it was really surprising to see them push around uh, Ohio State in the way that they did. But I suppose if you had actually watched the game uh, that Oregon played against them, maybe it wasn't all that surprising in the end. Yeah. They, they did a lot of the same things that Oregon did. Uh, to them and and were wildly successful about it uh, and just so you know I, I know you didn't mention it by name but that Georgia Alabama game is going to be a hell of a ball game yes yes yeah I, I mean if you love a good heavyweight fight that's your heavyweight fight on Saturday um, yeah but yeah yeah you mentioned Ohio State like th- I think three times in one year and they only have two losses out of those three but three times in one year Michigan Oregon Minnesota they were out physical. Yep. Yeah. No, they really were. And, and that's a team that kind of boasts a really strong defensive line, or at least they're, they're telling us they do, uh, you know, and they have recruited well on offensive line too. They've got some four and five stars on there. And, uh, you know, at the moment they have not performed very well along the line of scrimmage. Now there's no doubt that Ohio state has one of the best wide receiver cores in the country. I don't debate that. Those guys are truly elite. But, uh, I mean, that that's, I mean, you know, how successful was USC having this run and gun with a gazillion NFL wide receivers and, and no run game and no defensive line? So right. I guess that that's how you can relate to it. Right, and, and you talked about that for years, of the Trojans going out and recruiting. They'd signed five wideouts. They'd signed six corners. They'd talk about how L.A. was back, and they didn't have anybody on the lines. No. And, and that's, you know, that is another caveat to the Lincoln Riley hire. It, you know, it, he, he's going to be able to come in and win seven, eight, nine, game, seven, eight, nine games minimum because of the offensive talent they already have. That's, you know, kind of tailor made to what he does. So, you know, I think that's a good situation for him. He can hit the transfer portal for a few more pieces. Uh, and once again, take advantage of a really, really weak Pac-12 South. So, you know, that, that's a pretty good recipe for those two teams. But again, at some point, they're going to play somebody physical, and they've got to win at the line of scrimmage, uh, you know, because Utah and Oregon and Stanford and some of these other schools aren't going to just let them, you know, drop back and pass all day long. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, my last of my five, Houston, Cincy, that's the that's- uh, the other power uh, or G5 G five big conference game, 1 o'clock ABC. I just want to see if Cinderella can keep winning. I, I, that'll be a good one too. Yeah, I, I'm totally with you. That's going to be a fun game uh, as well. I was I was going to mention that one, but you you came back around on it. So yeah, some uh, some really fun football this weekend. Uh, not to mention the best of all, the Ducks play Friday, so then you get to spend your Saturday watching some of the other games. Friday, yeah. Let, let's let's remind people, right? There's a reason we're taping this pod early. Ducks play on Friday. Friday on ABC. Don't miss that game. Uh, let's go to lock of the week. All right, lock of the week. I am going to cheat. I'm going to pick the easiest thing in the world. Uh, You went here earlier, and I'm just going to piggyback off of it, and I'm going to cross my fingers and hope and pray that I'm right, because most weeks I'm wrong. My lock of the week, Kayvon Thibodeau gets two sacks. Yeah. um, You know, along with what I said earlier, you know, this being basically one of the last couple games that you're going to, you know, see Thibodeau in a duck uniform, uh, you know, the next couple games he's got, he, there's nothing 
ultimately left for him, but to just really kind of cement his status, uh, you know, as an NFL project. And so I think you're going to see probably two of the better games, uh, you know, that you're going to see from him all year long, uh, maybe maybe all career long at Oregon. So I, I think that's a safe play, uh, and I like the pick. And not to mention he was pretty absent against Utah last time, and I, I, I think he's going to want to rectify that one. Um, for me, you know, something that I feel is a recipe for Oregon uh, and something that I, I, I believe Mario Cristobal is going to challenge his team to, uh, you know, they, they, they simply got, uh, you know, out physically pushed around, outmatched against Utah. Uh, I think in order for Oregon to win this football game, they're going to have to amass 250 rush yards. And I'm saying that that's your lock of the week. Oregon will put up 250 rush yards or more in this contest. Uh, I'm saying that because I, I do feel uh, that they are going to have to successfully run the ball uh, in order. They, obviously, they're going to throw the ball, too, but they're going to have to successfully run the ball. Uh, to be in this ball game, uh, when I include that 250 yards, I'm including Anthony Brown uh, as well as the running backs. I think they're going to rely heavily on that combination, um, and and I think they're going to do it in a way that sets them up for successful passes. You know, they're going to you know let's we don't need to hit a home run on this run play. We just need to get our three or four or five yards and set up second and five or whatever the case might be. So uh, I think you'll see a ton of that and. Uh, you know, my lock of the week, 250 plus rush yards. for Oregon. Okay. All right. Um, so we, we just run through all the questions I was going to ask, all the topics we could address. When you say Oregon's going to rush for 250, I think win. Does Oregon win if they rush 250? If, if Oregon can rush for 250, well, yeah, they, they'll, they'll win. Uh, as long as, uh, as long as Anthony Brown doesn't, you know, throw two interceptions or fumble two footballs or something catastrophic like that, uh, you know, I, I would say the one caveat there is is turnovers. You know, they they, they could rush for 250 and have three turnovers and lose. But, uh, you know, if it's 250 and zero or 250 and one, uh, Oregon should win. And, and I do think that uh, I do think Oregon wins this football game. Uh, I think it's a close game. I think it's going to be a tough game. Uh, I don't think either team will be up by a big margin at halftime. Uh, and I think we're, we're all glued to a, a television or in Las Vegas watching this game very tightly in the fourth quarter. Uh, but I do think the Ducks are, are, are going to get the dub this time around. Yeah. Friday night in the Death Star, Justin Hopkins just gave us the recipe for success for Oregon football. Rush for 250, notch a couple turnovers on D, don't give the football up on offense, and Oregon wins. Friday night, ABC, Pac-12 title game. I can't wait. I know you can't wait either. Uh, as always, I want to wrap the pod with a, uh, a little plug for what we do. If you like the pod, share it with a friend. Share it with a fellow Duck fan as well. And thank you for listening. Go Ducks! I can do this now.